To get more out of this podcast, head over to Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get more episodes ad-free and earlier than everybody else, plus bonus content and exclusive series by myself and more than 130 other top-tier educational creators, many of whom I've interviewed on this podcast. You can sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe. You can sign up for Nebula by clicking on the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe. It not only helps support the podcast, it furthers our mission of building a platform that focuses on content that matters. It was like Cold War is just brainstorming and there's no bad ideas in brainstorming, except of course there are bad ideas. Why did the CIA <laughs> try to turn cats into spies? Like literally. Oh, I think you did a video that. on that, didn't you? I did a video on yeah, Persian yeah. Kitty. And so I just, I love how like nothing was off limits mm -hmm. because no one knew the limits of the technology of the day because technology had advanced so fast in the 30s, 40s. I mean, you've got people who were full adults when people had never flown and all of a sudden they're seeing rockets go up. Like it mm -hmm. felt like this, this tr upward trend of using technology and all of this was, was gonna keep going. Amy Shira Teetle is a fellow science communicator and YouTuber. Many of you may be familiar with her channel Vintage Space, which is now called The Vintage Space for reasons that we get to in the interview. But unlike myself, her reach goes far beyond her YouTube channel. Uh, first of all, she has a master's degree in science and technology studies. She's written for publications including Time, Scientific American, Discover Magazine, and The Guardian, just to name a few. She's appeared on shows on the Science Channel, the Travel Channel, and Netflix, and was a former host of D News. She's written multiple books, including Breaking the Chains of Gravity, Apollo Pilot, and her most recent one, Fighting for Space. And as I find out at the end of this conversation, she speaks ancient Greek. Because, yeah, now she's just showing off. For real, though, I've been following Amy since before I even started my YouTube career, and it was a pleasure to get to talk to her after all this time. Turns out we share some of the same uh, frustrations <laughs> with this thing that we do. Uh, There's a bit of shop talk in this episode, but we spend a lot of time, you know, talking about her interest in mid-century history, especially the space era, uh, where things are going from there. Uh, she has an opinion on the future of space that I wasn't quite expecting, so that's kind of interesting when we get into it. But uh, anyway, thanks to Amy for her time. I really did enjoy it. I hope you guys do too. So enough of that. Let's jump into my conversation with Amy Shiratito. Uh, well, so how you been? Uh, you know, good as can be given current state of world. Mm -hmm. How are you? Same. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Well, I've been I've been watching you for years. I've been watching yeah. you since I started doing yeah. YouTube. So it's 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 cool to finally get to meet you. Yeah, cheers. I, I know I've I've, I've known of you for so long, and apparently talked to you at one point. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'm 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 the worst about like I'll I'll meet somebody and then totally forget, and and because of that, I assume that nobody ever remembers me either. Yeah. And then I do this thing. It's like we met at this thing, and they're like, "Yeah, I know, idiot." You know, and I'm like, "Well, okay." <laughs> I, do, I do the same though. I will. For, I will assume people don't remember because I will space on things and be like, "Were you at that thing?" Because I've been to you know X event seven yeah, years yeah. in a row. They're all kind of blend at one point. I'm just like, yeah, I met mm -hmm. like seventy people that weekend. So like, can you give me a detail about you? Because like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really good with faces and terrible with names. So I do yeah. a lot of. Uh, you look familiar, yeah. but I don't know who you are. Yep. You're not important enough for me to remember. Just don't just leave, leave that part of the inner monologue. Yeah. <laughs> keep that down. Keep it inside. Um, well, so I wanted to, not just to, you know, set this whole thing on fire right off the bat or anything, mm. but um, 
you posted a video in December. Yeah. That was, uh, that was fire hands. That was fire hands. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So this is jazz hands. This is jazz fire hands, hands, fire hands. Yeah. And what's jazz hands on fire anyway. Yes. Um, but yeah, so you were talking about like kind of making a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and the frustrations you were having with that, with the yeah. and response to it. And yeah. Um, as a fellow content creator, oh, yes, of <laughs> course, I, I know exactly what you were talking about. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, on that level, I wanted to just kind of like have that conversation with you about like, yeah. what that was about and the frustrations you had and yeah. how it's going. And I'm, and I'm curious, you know, you immediately have such a, such a strong, like full body reaction. Like I kind of want to hear your experience too, because mm-hmm. I think everyone experiences this kind of stuff in different ways. And it's, it's never not really upsetting. It's, and it's one of those things people are just like, just ignore the trolls. And I'm like, yeah. but they're everywhere all yeah. the time. It's like, try to ignore the mosquitoes in the summer, but when they're everywhere all the time, you're going to get annoyed. Even if you're <laughs> like, it's fine. Just wear bug repellent. Like yeah um yeah the the shift i i mean i guess for some contextual background like i've been doing space heavy history mm-hmm. for uh, over a decade at this point that's kind of like my my original like love of history like my vehicle into history was the apollo program because when i read about it when i was a kid i was just like what is this thing? Like they went to the moon, like I'm from Canada. So it's not everywhere. And I was just like, <laughs> how did they do that? And like, why did they do that? And you know, the more, this is one of those things where like, the more you ask questions, the bigger the answer gets. And like that whole era is fascinating to me. And one of the things that I love in the history of technology is the first time something's done because you have to go through so much problem solving. In this case, there's a really, really fascinating political element of it being, mm-hmm. you know, post-war, mid-century, Cold War, um, which is like a really unique era in American history. And, you know, I, I kind of leaned into the space historian stuff for a while because it was a really, it was a way for me to kind of grow my my grant my brand and my career and that was great but um I never wanted to only ever do that vintage space as a name actually when I first started the blog in 2010 was meant to be like vintage things in space but also a space for vintage things so it was meant to kind of be that all encompassing double entendre yeah um and then that that just never happened because the space stuff did so well and I was you know my first book is all about um pre-NASA history so it kind of fed into that that I kind of just like you know got comfy in that but like, there was no growth after a while, you know? And I think every creator kind of hits this point. I mean, I hope not, but like, I think a lot of creators hit the point where like, I have, like my numbers have been plateaued for like three years. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's very clear to me that like, there's only so much in this era that you can do if you're not like working in it with some context. And people are like, well, you have to do modern space. I'm like, but I don't, I'm not interested in modern space. Like I'm specifically interested in the history. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is branch sideways into like other Cold War programs. So I started kind of peppering that into vintage space and people were just like, they weren't watching it and they were like mad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, and you know, my, my second book was meant to kind of start that really firm shift, um, which is, uh, I, I should, I feel like I should have it in front of me, but I, I don't. Yeah. Um, I should have I, a copy. <laughs> I'm I'm that I'm that author with like 40 copies of the book like in this room and none of them are ever next to my hand. Yeah. Um but it's called Fighting for Space and it's the the dual biography of Jackie Cochran and Jerry Cobb, these two female pilots who are outstanding, Jackie especially, I love her and um they kind of come head to head over the issue of should women fly in space in the early 60s. And I wrote this book to read like a novel. I use first names of everybody like 
Eisenhower is Ike. <laughs> John Glenn is John, which meant that John F. Kennedy had to be Jack to separate them. And, you know, <laughs> I tried to make it feel like it was just a story, um, yeah. even though it's like painstakingly researched and we had almost 2000 footnotes. <laughs> um, and God, you know, that's, that a, that's was, a lot to keep up with. I've, was, I've never written anything that had to keep up with footnotes. That's yeah, it got to there was there was a point on my draft where the um the page had like this much writing and then this much footnotes and yeah. my editor was just like we're gonna have to figure out what to do with this. I'm like I know. <laughs> yeah, at what um, point do you do you move them just to the end of the book? Yeah, you know? we. I mean, I always use footnotes for my own reference because it's easier that way. And we ultimately decided that because I'm not writing for an academic audience, we did a chapter bibliography in lieu of footnotes or endnotes because it's pretty obvious because the date of the letter is like in the item number in the bibliography. Mm. So we just have a very extensive bibliography instead. Gotcha. Um, tried to figure out the best way to do it given that like, this is not an academic press. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that book was supposed to be like, oh, you can write really strong narratives you can do other stuff you can do aviation you can do wider history and stuff and people were just like mad that it was about women that was the feedback was that they were mad that it was about women and not enough about space and told me to stay in my lane and only talk about apollo because that's what i know and you know it didn't help that the book came out in you know towards the end of february 2020 mm -hmm. so like all of the plans for i did two whole book signings um all of the plans for any publicity just fell apart so mm -hmm. I had spent four years working on this thing and this whole like career shift was, was pinned to this book and then it just like died. And I was like, oh, so I, I like didn't know what to do. So I went back to doing like kind of the same old shit on vintage space. I don't know if I can swear, but we're in it now. Yeah, um, <laughs> you <laughs> might I, need to. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair. Um, you know, and I did some other <clears throat> stuff like this Cold War aerial espionage series that again, like it did decent, but it did like, these were 45 minute videos that were like months of deep research yeah. into like understanding how spy planes work and stuff and the politics around it. And it was not doing as well as a video about like, why Apollo astronauts pooped in bags. And I was just like, this is getting to be <laughs> like, I, I'm not personally fulfilled anymore. Yeah, My career is not advancing doing the same thing anymore. So I have to, I just, I was just like, all right, I guess I'm just kind of doing it on my own. 12 years after starting my career as a creator, I'm like back to the beginning, building up a new YouTube channel because my audience wouldn't stand for something new. So I'm kind mm. of in this like weird nebulous transitional period right now where I'm, I don't really know what's going to happen with my main channel, but I know that the second channel is eventually going to be the main channel. Mm. I just don't know how that's going to look. It's and the second channel is just under your name, right? It's just my name. Yeah. yeah. So it's not even, I'm not giving it a theme, although it's like, history it's just deep dives in history but yeah. more casually presented but still painstakingly researched because mm -hmm. that's what i do are you feeling a, a better or a stronger creative spark doing that absolutely i mean and i think and i that's think kind that's kind of the most important thing important when it comes down and to. i i think that's what people don't think about with creators is like if you're super like pigeonholed by your audience and you start to not love it your content's going to suffer and they're mm -hmm. going to see that. So like I, I, and, my then last video, complain about that. and then they'll complain about that. Yeah. I mean, come on, the internet just likes to be mad. So mm. yay. Um, <laughs> but like my last video on that channel is a look at why Sweden changed from driving on the left to the right in 1967. And it goes mm. into the history of like ancient Romans walking on the left for like walk by stabbings and ride by stabbings and 
other stabby things. And um, <laughs> it was just like, it's just a question I had. And it was really fun to dig in. And I like animated a dude stabbing another dude. Um, and it's, it's wild to me that those videos are getting not that much less than what some vintage space videos have been getting lately. So I'm like hopeful that it's going to build with momentum and stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, I've got all these, I'm just, I'm, there's no schedule. I'm just kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want to do as it's, as it happens. Cause like, I'm also working on a new book proposal. Like there's a lot of other things that I can't talk about. So like, sure. you guys are getting what you're getting when you get it. And if you're really <laughs> mad about the fact that, you know, I'm not doing what you want me to be doing, then like, you don't have to engage with that content. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's something I don't think people are even capable of anymore. I just, know. just, just move on. Just go find something else. You know, it's wild to me how, they have how to, like, like anger offended people are. Cause like the other yeah. thing, the other thing that I've started doing in the last couple of years, which has been just really like creatively fun is streaming on Twitch, like nothing about anything, just like literally playing video games mm -hmm. and cursing a lot at said video games. <laughs> and I I've been putting clips up on TikTok. uh, Twitter less because I don't get Twitter's video format straight up. I don't really understand uh, why it just like won't let me post videos. In I don't Instagram, understand most things about Twitter. <laughs> I kind of hate it, but um, I, I had someone comment on a clip. I forget what the clip even was, but they were like, I follow you for science, not to watch you play Mario. When are you getting back to the real deal? And I'm just like, I make a lot of content across a lot of platforms. Feel yeah. free to not engage with the things that don't interest you. But and then like, I remove the follower from my account so they can't follow me anymore. Yeah. But again, like, don't <laughs> watch just, it. Just don't just watch like, it if it's like, not your thing. I, you know? I follow tons of people that like, I like this thing that they do. I don't like this thing. So I just scroll past it. And yeah. because I like the one, the one thing, whether it's like, an artist or a musician or something. It's just like, I, yeah, I don't need all of this stuff, but I want these updates. So I'm going to follow you. Mm -hmm. People, people need to express their distaste. I am so disappointed in you. That's when I get the most, I am so disappointed in you. And I'm like, dude, you're not the first. Why are people disappointed, disappointed in you? I'm like, actually, me personally. Or? Yeah. Why? Like, what is, what are the, what's the feedback oh. that you get? Cause I feel like I'm actually, I'm, I don't, I, it feels, sounds really bad to say, like, I'm heartened by it, but like, I'm a little bit impressed that male creators get it um, too. Cause I feel like, you know, so much of the backlash I get is like, is very, it's, it's very thinly veiled sexism. Yeah, so whenever yeah. I hear about my male friends who are creators or, you know, professionals that do something hobby on the side, that's very public as well. I'm like astounded that they also get the like, stay in your lane comments. Now, chances are, if you click to listen on this podcast, it did it because you know and are a fan of Amy's space journalism. And if that's the case, you might be really into the uh, Curiosity Stream series Trajectory, which is a 13-part series that explores the entire history of space exploration. From the beginning of the Cold War space race to the end of the shuttle program, this show gets deep into the engineering and the scientific advancement of space travel, what factors shape the advancement, and the hard decisions that had to be made along the way. That, of course, is just one of hundreds of documentary series you can find on CuriosityStream from some of the best filmmakers around the world. If you like space stuff, you'll never run out of interesting stuff to watch. More into history, same. Art, science, we could keep going. It's all on CuriosityStream. But you know what comes next. With your subscription to CuriosityStream, you get, for free, access to Nebula, the streaming service I'm a part of, as well as many of your other favorite smart YouTubers, where you can see our stuff ad-free and earlier than everybody else. Meaning this podcast on Nebula, you wouldn't have this ad read that you're probably wanting to skip past at this point. And you can get all that from both services for the ridiculously low price of $14.79 for an entire year. 
I did the math. It comes out to 62 cents per month per service, and, and you'll never run out of amazing content to watch. It's ridiculous. It's the best, like, plan deal you can come up with. So yeah, to get all that, just go to curiositystream.com slash joescottpod. Again, that's curiositystream.com slash joescottpod, and you can start wondering why you never did this in the first place. I hear that from everybody all the time. It just keeps being true. And because science says you got to hear something three times before you remember it, that's curiositystream.com slash joescottpod. So go check it out, and thanks to CuriosityStream for supporting this podcast. Now let's get back to Amy. Yeah, of course I have the trolls and the horrible people and whatnot, but I, I really don't think we get anywhere close yeah. to what you guys do yeah it's just i feel like from what i've seen from my my male friends it's like i mean especially as you know in the education space i think people don't watch education content because they want to learn i think they watch education <laughs> content because they want to prove they're smarter than the person who made the content because like without uh, fail you know i i will do this thing where like to go back to this the driving side video that i just did i i know because i was specifically talking about sweden so i was talking about europe and north america because that's kind of the major influences in this case i didn't talk about um i didn't talk about asia i didn't talk about south america um because it wasn't like a history of driving around the world you know so uh, like i limited my own scope and i yeah. i was like here's what we're doing and people were just mad that i didn't talk about this one fact that they know yeah. and it's oh, just yeah. like yeah, yeah yeah this is this is like a 20 minute video that's like pretty pretty in depth on this whole story and you're just you're just picking up one thing because you mm. just want to be mad about something and i feel um, like you get you like men get that too but i feel like the thing that might be unique to women or less common for men at least is that like if they can't find fault in your work they just fault you as a person because like i've i've literally had comments where people are like i really like your videos but i can't watch you because your bangs are disgusting <laughs> someone actually said that my bangs make them seasick and I, and I had somebody once who was like, oh, I finally realized what I don't like about you. Your ponytail is so messy. It, I can't even listen to you because your hair. And I was just like, I don't understand how like, uh -huh. like I, to the, to the point where I, I've, uh, I thought about doing it for like an April fool's joke as just like putting a bald cap on it doing a video being like, you guys, you guys fixed like, it. will not stop talking about my hair. Then like, all right we're in this now i am i am now uh, the bald space girl i guess um but i i did but yeah it's i i did do something similar to that one time i, I don't get comments about well i mean people people try to like you know everybody's just trying to get under your skin and they'll say something about your hairline's receding i'm like it's been doing that for years you think i'm not aware of that you think i'm not aware <laughs> you know right but but the one that um happened for a while there um i i started using a new camera recently and it's and it's a 4K camera, which means that um, <laughs> I switched to a 4K camera and immediately started getting comments that were like, "Are you okay? You look sick. Are you dying?" Like, oh my because God. suddenly I look, you could see all the details yeah. in my face, and yeah. I'm I'm not a young chicken anymore, you know. So, um, so there was that. But but on the old camera, I think it was either because of some kind of compression issue or it had skin smoothing on it or something. Anyway, mm. um, something in the process caused, I guess that the middle part of my eyebrows okay. to sort of disappear. It, it, okay. it kind of made it look like my eyebrows started like oh, right weird. about the middle of my eye. It just, it was just a okay. weird compression yeah. artifact or whatever. Yeah. And so I would get these comments and people were like, stop plucking your eyebrows, dude. Like that's what women do. What's wrong with you? 
and like I got a lot of these comments about my eyebrows. And I'm like, there's something shocked. I'm like legitimately shocked that this is a thing that people would say to you. Oh my God. Well, and so I I have a second channel. It's called TMI and it's 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 much more off the cuff. I don't really script it. It's just like I press record and start ranting. But um and I haven't been very good at keeping it up lately, but I, I did one on there that kind of like what you were talking about with a ball cap. I just, I got some of my wife's like eyeliner. This is like, let me fix my eyebrows for you. And I like painted yeah. on these like ridiculous nice. eyebrows nice. just to <laughs> satisfy those people. Yeah. But the whole, like earlier when I said that people tell me that they're disappointed in me, it yeah. was, it was exactly what you were talking about a second ago, where it's like, I covered a topic, but I didn't mention this one tiny piece of it that for whatever reason, this person is like really passionate about. And they're so disappointed that I forgot to talk about that. And, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, you're just mad that I didn't repeat your thoughts back to you verbatim. Yeah. And now you feel like you're a victim or something because that's all you came here for. You know, it's, yeah. These are the frustrations of being a content creator for sure. It is. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain. And I, I always just kind of struggle to explain it to people that like, I still love what I do. I still love that I'm <laughs> able to do this and that I can create the stuff that I want to create. But it, it is really hard when like your livelihood depends on people wanting to watch your content mm-hmm. and the vocal minority is telling you that your content is shit for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, it becomes very, and what, what I think people don't necessarily think about is like, it becomes very hard to keep finding your willingness to put yourself out there when you yeah. know that it's going to be negative coming back. Like I stop looking at my comments within half an hour of my video. Going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm basically that's, watching that's, the first. Yeah. Yeah. When, as soon as I see the first one, I'm just like, I'm out. Well, you have to, I mean, for your own yeah. mental health, you know? Yeah. I um, <laughs> I, and I, and I think, this is true for me. I'm going to assume it's true for you too. There's actually far more positive comments than the trolls and the negative people. But the, for yeah. some reason in our psychology, it just, yeah. you, hear, you see that one and it's just like, you shouldn't have, and it just can't yeah. quite get it out. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, I think for, I, for whatever reason, they do stand out more and it's, I definitely do. I mean, I do have a lot of very supportive people and people that I've met and engaged with, you know, and kind of have gotten to know a little bit through the different networks and channels that I'm on and stuff. Um, so it's definitely not everybody, but it's mm-hmm. just, it does get to a point where you like, you know how, and I hate this and I have been emailing YouTube for like years about this, you know, on your dashboard, when it gives you like comments in the top three comments, mm-hmm. um, I have been petitioning them to option to hide that. Cause whenever I go to my dashboard to just kind mm-hmm. of look at my general stats, I see the top three comments and without fail, one of those is something deeply negative. Yeah, and here. Yeah. it's when you, when you look at that and you're, it's, I think for me, what it is, is when you're not even looking at the comments, but they, they're in your face. And at least a third of them are going to be negative. It's just, it feels like it's so much, even if in reality, it's Mm. 10% negative. It feels like a lot more than that because they're, they're always kind of at the top. They seem to rise up. Well, and if if every single time you get on YouTube, you see something like that, it it, it does. um, Yeah. There's a repetition thing there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Why do we do this? <laughs> I don't, it's, it's, it's the love of creation, the love of, I mean, I, I legitimately do love like telling people about weird history stuff that it's, I, I like the things where it's like, you want to know about this, but you're not going to research it. So like, I'll do that for you because <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. It's- I, I was saying to somebody the other day, the thing that I like about this is just kind of going down those rabbit holes. 
It's just like just finding some little topic and being like, wow, there's so much more to this than I thought yeah. there was. And you just start pulling out and pulling out. And yeah, it's and awesome. You know, it's you just, so much yeah. fun. It's just, it's, I would just like for people to be a little bit less jerky about it, you know? <laughs> Let's try to get off of all that. Everybody wants to hear creators talk about how I know how terrible their lives are. Um, so, so what what would you say? Let's 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 get into a question. Okay. What would you say would be a good example of something that you um, were going to do a video about, and you thought this is a very cut and dried, simple idea, and then once you got into it, it's like, wow, there's just so much inside this pinata that I didn't know it was there. Hmm. I know that happens pretty much on every. I feel like that video, happens. But... That happens a lot. Um, I think the one, the one that I kind of knew was going to be big, but ended up becoming a lot more interesting for me personally. Um, this is a video that went up like two years ago at this point um, about the the politics of space exploration, hmm. which was a video that I, I I've always been really interested in <clears throat> this very obvious trend that since since the space age and basically since um bush the first really the republican leaders whenever we've had a republican presidency they're very firm on these really big goals whether it's going back to the moon going to mars you know there's yeah. always like a really big proclamation and then that is scaled down under the fall, subsequent democratic mm -hmm. um president who comes in but the Democratic Party seems to be the one that creates the longstanding goals in space, like the space station, like NASA's um, working with SpaceX to help do low Earth orbital stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's a really interesting thing where, and I'm sure, I mean, I, maybe you, you're you're less in the space world than I've been for years, but like space skews very Republican, and it's very interesting to me that, you know, I've got I've got friends that you know we don't align politically. But, you know, they're so vehemently like because of space. And I'm like, what is it that like draws people into this party so much with all of, you know, listen, no, no party in America is perfect. I will not say that. Um, but, you know, people people get so like fixated on the space goals. And I'm like, why? What is it that like these two parties have very polar approaches to space? And I got I got into like like branding America as pre like during presidential races and stuff. And I'm like, this is fascinating how mm. much like this has been used as like a leverage point for people. And it's not, it's something that I've, I've known about a little bit, but I finally went in the weeds and looked at like how different policies and like when, when things actually happen, it was fascinating. Mm. I really enjoyed making that video. I learned a whole lot. <laughs> so it was like, I, I didn't know how long that video was going to be, but I didn't think it would be like 40 minutes. Okay, so so you're saying that like when when Republicans are in office, they they have big grand plans, but when Democrats come in, it's more sort of scaled down but yeah. sustainable. Yeah, that's that's because like it's Bush. Both Bushes said we're going to Mars, mm -hmm. and Trump said we're going back to the moon, and then created Space Force. And I still don't really understand what's going on with that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. And you know the people space people get really mad at Clinton and Obama for canceling those plans, even though some of the biggest things that they point to as things that are really exciting are things that were started under those administrations. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's there's a really strange thing where space people are are very firm and like, I only want the person like, like people will literally ask me at conferences, like, how do you not love this person? They're going back to the moon. I'm like, but why are the, why do you want to go back to the moon? Like, what is that doing for us right now? Why mm. are we doing this? Explain to me why it's necessary and I'll get behind it. But like, it's not. 
I still don't know why we're going back to the moon. So you're talking about Artemis now? Yeah. Okay. Why? Also, I hate the branding on Artemis, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> why? Like, is it? Is it? It's. It, there's nothing that we need to be doing going to the moon right now. It's just a show of of like we can. We can't survive long-term in space. We're not like, there's no real need to start doing colonies because we can't really go anywhere else yet. Like there's so many other problems with long-term space flight that we can do it more safely on the ISS or another space station instead of doing the much riskier move Mm -hmm. of going to the moon when like, we don't have the money to go to Mars or send or the ability to send people to Mars. Like we're kind of, we're kind of doing this thing and then we're like not able to do anything else. So it's kind of just like a, thing i don't know uh, i don't know so so um would you prefer that we continue making space stations like the iss because i mean it's gonna have to come down eventually and... i know yeah yeah i think i think the, my, i mean my big thing in space is like what are our actual long-term goals here because mm-hmm. like i think i i really do think there's a lot more that we should be focusing on with um robotic missions to actually understand what we're facing if we're going to send humans to different places like we're fixated on mars because it's easier and we know more what we're dealing with on mars but like maybe that's not the most exciting or fruitful place to send humans so should we be looking there is elsewhere? no great places we... <laughs> there is and that's and that's just it like why like why are we so fixated on putting humans on mars mm. like like i like seriously explain it to me because like I, I will be the first to say Apollo was ridiculous. Like th- it was a pissing contest. It was. Yeah. Stop saying I've, I've that it was many because times, yeah. of might. It was a fucking pissing contest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I really hate when people are just like, how can you not want to go back to the moon and recapture Apollo? And I'm like, because it's not the Cold War. There's no space race that's pushing you to do something batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. We're doing this because people want to recapture the glory of something that they weren't involved in. Or some of them were maybe if they're still around, but you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's a very different time. So like, why are we really doing it? Why do we need to spend this much money on things that are not necessarily going to bring anything back? Well, we the, don't have the... long-term goals. We don't have a good structure for like, yeah. here's our plan for the next 80 years and we'll adapt it as technology changes, but here's the ultimate goal. And mm-hmm. here's why we're doing it. Like space is weird. <laughs> when you think about it, like space exploration is really weird. <laughs> It is, but it kind of isn't to me. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, okay. So if you, when, when you're saying we, I think you're talking NASA, right? Or, or the U.S. government in general, or just humanity in general. I think like, humanity in general, because I think with, okay. with NASA, I mean, NASA, NASA and Roscosmos have such a leg up over other countries that are involved in space, right? Like, mm-hmm. so for, you know, for, for India, for Israel, for other countries that are starting to do it, a lot of it is these early technical demonstrations and kind of learning how to do things that NASA was doing in the 60s. So like, right. it's, I think they're at a different phase and then working together on international things is kind of helping fast track them to get get more science and data done on these missions so yeah i'm I'm, i am kind of i guess thinking humanity okay it's like well i mean so you have like your elon musk who wants to start uh, a new civilization on mars because someday an asteroid is going to wipe us out here or something Mm -hmm. you know that talk about thinking long term yeah um so so that's kind of where he's coming from um whenever it's something like artemis or you know a nasa thing there there is a lot i mean nasa's kind of a big jobs program yeah you know like that's that's why they've got you know places in all the 50 states or in as many of them as possible you know and so they can get some pork barrel spending to all the different states from the Mm -hmm. senators and stuff um so 
I'm not anti Artemis. I'm kind of, this is, this is not the conversation I thought we'd be having. Um, no, this is interesting. I'm not um, anti either. I just feel like, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. So, so there are some that are like, sort of the Elon, like, just go straight to yeah. Mars because that's the best opportunity. It's not good, but it's the best opportunity we have for setting up an outpost somewhere else and, and you know, being multiplanetary. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, let's set up a base on the moon and that can be like a way station yeah. to the outer planets or, yeah. or whatever. And, and I can even understand like kind of using the moon's momentum to sort of like yeah. give you a little bit of oomph to head out from there and stuff. If you can if, mine fuel on the if moon, you can, mine fuel. Fuel, you can, you can get further that I totally get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some people are against that because like, it's so much infrastructure and it doesn't really give you that much, whatever. I guess we'll see. Yeah. But, um, I made an, argument i actually just did a video recently on um nasa's original post-apollo program Mm -hmm. ideas the nixon space task force Mm -hmm. group that got together and they wanted to get to mars by 1981 and Mm -hmm. and they had plans for lunar bases and multiple space stations and stuff and a lot of it is kind of what we want to do now with a lunar yeah. space or a lunar, yeah, lunar space station, lunar bases. So we like fly to low earth orbit and reconnect and then go out to the lunar orbit. And there's like this sort of infrastructure yeah. system to go between here and there. Um, of course, if we ever manage to get fusion going and there's all that helium three on the moon, that would be uh, yeah. beneficial, but you know, that's not anytime soon. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I get I get the logic behind it, but but uh, sorry. When I was going back, um, the post Apollo program video, I was making the argument that like um, going to the moon, uh, there was like this massive uptick in like PhDs that happened after yeah. that, and people yeah. that like got involved in the sciences and stuff. Um, it's one of those little intangible things that you can't quantify, yeah. but I think does improve the world in a way. Yeah. Um... Because I think so, I've, I've two things have come to mind as you as you're talking through that is like you know I I do understand the value of setting up a base on the moon for deeper space exploration because we can get a lot of done with humans on board. Um, I mean even just like having a rover on Mars that's controlled by a crew in orbit that mm-hmm. takes out your light time delay. You can get a lot some mm-hmm. of geologists up with with remote operators. You'd get so much more out of that mission than we have from anything. And that would be very cool mm-hmm. um, considering you know, the challenges of landing humans on Mars. But I think when, when I think about the imminent moon missions, I'm like, but are we close to doing that? Or are we going to the moon as like a show that we can, even though we're not ready to start building up that infrastructure yet? Yeah. It seems premature to start talking about the excitement of going back to the moon when there isn't like, you know, the, the, the next big goal is this. And here's kind of the plan that's going to take 30 years to set it all up. It's kind of like we have this mission Okay. <laughs> be really excited. And the fact yeah. that like, and you know, I mean, I listen, I get it. NASA's a jobs program. I've, I've gone, I've gone down the weeds a little bit on like how all the places were set up. And mm. I mean, I bet that is interesting. Dryden, it is very interesting. Yeah. Dry, the, the Dryden high-speed flight station, well, it used to be called the high-speed flight station. Then the Dryden flight station is now the Armstrong center. And mm. I'm like 90% sure. I don't actually know this, but I'm like reasonably sure that they changed the name from Dryden, who was arguably a more important figure for aeronautics than Neil Armstrong was 
to Neil Armstrong's name because you can't close a building with the national hero on it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the Lewis Flight Center, I think, was the is now the John Glenn Flight Center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these things are are the AIM Center is wind tunnels. It's it's not someplace that needs to exist anymore. So like that one is probably a little bit facing some kind of closure, but like it is a jobs program. If this mm-hmm. is designed to inspire the next generation of scientists, say that. Don't don't mask it in this like to recapture the glory or like just say like we really want to do something inspiring and exciting mm-hmm. because we want to stimulate the science economy of the country and the world. Just say that. That's fine. I'm cool with that. We frankly need to be smarter. So like let's just own up to that. Yeah. But to just actually- like leave it as this nebulous thing is just like the the branding of it feels really weird to me i hear you i hear you um i actually i have not done this video yet i kind of just got started on it but you know with with artemis one supposed to be going up in the next couple of months um i was like what exactly is the whole artemis plan you know yeah because i i know that they want to put people on moon by 2024 yeah (laughs) sorry what'd you say i said when you make that video ping me because i want that answer (laughs) Well, okay, so I, I did like some preliminary research yeah, the other day, yeah. and, and it's like you know, there's Apollo, or sorry, I said Apollo. Uh, there's Artemis one that's just like the unmanned flight, and then there's yeah. the um, Ar- Artemis two is going to fly around the moon with crew. Yeah. Artemis three is going to actually land uh, in twenty four. Is the, well, I thought it got pushed back a little bit, actually. Of course, of course, of course it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, there was like four that would be, I think, for the gateway launching some components for the gateway and then five was another landing with like a rover and then after that there was just like proposed missions six seven eight yeah sure what happens you know mm-hmm. and that's a lot of time for administrations to change and priorities to change and it's it's a lot of time for uh technology to change for mm-hmm. to discover something else that will change what the the focus needs to be like I feel like people, and I mean kind of like the everyman at this point, it's like people don't really understand how hard space is because we see it very often and it feels really routine, but it's not. Like it's hard, it's expensive, it's dangerous. It takes years to create anything like this. So like, as like cool as it is, it's one of those things that like, I feel like it almost feels like we're taking it lightly. And, you know, and, and within all of that mess, I'm actually a huge defender of SLS, which people are always like super down on. At least the design of the rocket, I think is really interesting. I love the idea of creating something modular that can mm-hmm. do multiple things with just interchanging parts that can be mass produced. I think that's a really great rocket design. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I feel like is getting overlooked is like, we have this like developing a thing that can just be configured for so many missions is like actually a really good capability to have so like why are people so down on the way that it's gotten together is a hot mess but like yeah in concept i think that's actually a really interesting thing to have in a space arsenal i think that we've gotten so uh (laughs) quickly used to the idea of reusability thanks to Mm -hmm. the falcon 9 and whatnot Mm -hmm. that the idea of like launching this whole thing and none of it's reusable is just like what of course it's very expensive yeah yeah but I will say I, I really want to see it go up because I never got to see any shuttles go up. Yeah. And I want to see some solid rocket boosters do yeah. their magic. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just it's just massive. It's so cool. Um, 
but I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Like the um, when they, when I first saw the uh, the design for it, I was like, this is just like a Frankenstein Apollo space yeah. shuttle hybrid here. And you like, know? I'm all I'm all for reusability. To be clear, it's it's the it's the modularness that I think is really interesting in that mm -hmm. rocket's design. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting rocket. It took way too long and spent way too much money on it, but it seems like the piece of the puzzle that will be useful <laughs> in like a, a multitude of different ways. I just, you know, if if it can be produced a little bit more cheaply and more reliably and that's yeah. at the space is hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see how long it goes. And yeah. the other thing is is that you know, SpaceX got picked for the lunar lander which is going to have to go up on the starship vehicle and and there's a part of me that's like so why are we building all this other stuff yeah. if we actually i mean assuming they can make it work the way they want it's still mm -hmm. it's still an assumption at this point yeah until they do it they haven't done it yeah yeah but uh yeah i, I really feel like if they that's if they do make that work it's just sls is gone just yeah oh that's no def that's definitely going to be a really hard part it's just like you know, NASA's been working on this really interesting design for so long, but has been stuck by its own like heritage almost mm. to where I don't, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I feel like I wrote this in a blog like a decade ago that NASA <laughs> should probably actually scrap it, give low earth orbit stuff to SpaceX and focus on like the heavy lift deep space mission stuff mm. and like divide and conquer that way as opposed to building different versions of the same thing from different companies with different levels of success. I mean, it's, it yeah. is, it is, it feels very, yeah, very messy. I think that's kind of what they're doing though. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of where things are trending. And like people ask me about this stuff all the time and like straight up, I'm not following this news. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Like I, I, I knew that you're sort of pivoting away from space and yeah. there's other things that you're into yeah. and all that. And I wanted to make sure that we, that we don't, I was like, in my head, like, don't talk about space too much. Don't talk about space. <laughs> and here we are, we're 45 minutes in and we've been talking about space this whole time. So, so clearly you still it enjoy happens. it a little bit. I do, I, mean, I, been... I do enjoy it. It's just like, people ask me to kind of go into the weeds on like explaining Artemis and stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. What I can do is give you the backstory of like where all of these things came from and explain to you why what we're doing now is not recapturing Apollo. It's extremely different. Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, like I'm not following, I kind of see the headlines but i don't get into the weeds on like the latest engine tests or anything yeah yeah so, okay you know what let's go back let's go back to the <laughs> questions i should have started this whole interview with in the first place um what, what okay so you just talked about how you you got into sort of the mid-century history by going through apollo and being interested yeah. in that so so what is your actual background is, is it journalism is it history were you a history major in college or something uh, like that history or? of science is actually my background uh, okay. my my uh, bachelor's degree i have a bachelor's of combined honors in history of science and technology and classics so i can also read ancient greek because that's useful and then my master's is in science and technology studies so oh, i've wait, always wait. done hmm. you can read ancient greece I, in in greek in greek yeah i, I studied ancient greek for three years because that's a useful party trick <laughs> wow the classics uh the classics part of my major of my honors um was was I think two regular classes and four language classes, one year of Latin and three years of ancient Greek. Wow. Yeah. And can you retain all that? Like you still, I can decipher little bits of it. I, in my, yeah, in the driving video, I actually wrote out a Greek sentence to discuss how firm and important oxen were for the ancient Greeks. Cause I learned about <laughs> booster feed and writing, which is like, it goes side to side on the page. 
Um, it wasn't left to oh, right like that. Okay. And it was to mimic the way oxen move in a field. And I was like, that's really funny because the first sentence I ever translated in ancient Greek was which means drives his oxen into the field or in the field. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, the, our textbook was contrived ancient Greek because it's not a spoken language, obviously. Um, it, all about this farmer, Dikaiopolis, and his his oxen and like his son going off to war and it like taught you Greek through the story of this oh. ox farmer. <laughs> okay. So, so when it's you like read ancient really Greek, it, it does a, no, it, it is, motion. it is, it does not anymore. It's oh. now gotten back to the right, like what we're familiar with of the uh -huh. left to right. But before, but back then that's how they did a, it. Yeah. It was such an oral tradition that very few people could read or write. So there was no standard. There was no punctuation. There was no spaces. There was mm. no lowercase and uppercase letters. So it was just this wall of letters and you had to understand. That sounds like half of my comments. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, modern Hebrew, actually, I learned is similar to that. There's no vowels in Hebrew. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know it was at all Hebrew. I knew that in the Torah, there's no vowels. So you have to infer what the word is from context clues. This is a whole other thing. You're wow. like a linguist and stuff. Like I that's... love language. I love how language okay. develops. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so that's yeah, one no, of those my subjects that like, I've never covered it. Yeah. I am fascinated by it, but I feel like, I really feel like it's just so over my head. Like mm -hmm. whenever I do like read anything or watch videos or whatever on like, uh, you know, the, the progression of the English language and how our alphabet came about and the, yeah. the Phoenicians and all that, you know, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how people do that. That's, that's just, that's super impressive to me. I have, I have dabbled in a lot of weird things over over the years so i like to i have i have these little bits of of intro, introductions into various uh, paths to follow but yeah no my background's in in history and like history of science specifically which is weird that that's a degree but that's what my degree is literally in mm -hmm. is it just one degree because you mentioned like five different subjects there <laughs> a second ago <laughs> i have a, I, my, my bachelor's is a combined honors so it's the history of science and technology okay. and classics and then my master's in science and technology studies which is again a weird discipline that's like a humanities look mm. at science and technology gotcha okay um so what kind of things about the mid-century to get, get you so interested outside of the, the space stuff? I know that's kind of what brought you into it. Are, yeah. you, are you big in, like whenever I hit the term mid-century, I think of the design. I love, I mean, this is design. an antique. I mean, yeah, I can tell just, just looking at you. <laughs> um, that's what you're yeah, there's, there's a lot of antique, almost. This desk is actually a 1950s executive desk and I love it. Um, yeah, no, mid-century design is a big, is a big thing that I love. I love the clean lines. I love mm. that the design was like, I, I do find the way design is kind of like reflective of societal shifts is a very interesting thing that I, I know very little about, but I kind mm -hmm. of like pick up pieces here and there. Um, I mean, I was raised on old movies like Gene Kelly was my first celebrity crush. <laughs> Singing in the Rain is my favorite movie. There's a lot of like, I and and I, I'm a big, the, the vintage community that I am kind of watch i'm not super involved in um online is very like vintage style not vintage values because we're all aware that like it was not a great time for literally anybody <laughs> yeah, who's not yeah. a white male but like the style and the aesthetic and the music and everything is still something that's just like it has such a very poignantness that i i love mm -hmm. that um so there yeah there's all my dishes are vintage <laughs> there's, awesome. a, there's a lot to that but there's what one thing that i that i just love about the the 50s like probably like 45 to, to 70, we'll say, is like 
a very interesting time in America where America was suddenly a superpower, did not know how to deal with being a superpower, mm. had all this technology, had all this money, and people had all this freedom for the first time after living through the Depression and then the Second World War, that it was like this very weird time where for like regular people, there was no limitation. You could finally go and do and be whatever you wanted to be. And you see this really interesting like social shift happening, even though it was also the era of get back in the kitchen, you know, you were Rosie the Riveter, now be Rosie the Baker. Um, But also on like a political level, it was, there was such such a shift happening. Like this is when the parties flipped over civil rights, which is such an interesting thing that happened, which is actually what my, I just, I just started researching a little bit about it um, because it feeds into some other stuff, but I am researching the party flip and like how that worked and what it was exactly. Um, But then like you have the government suddenly, like it was like cold war is just brainstorming and there's no bad ideas in brainstorming, except of course there are bad ideas. Why did the CIA (laughs) try to turn cats into spies? Like literally. Oh, I think you did a video on that, didn't you? I did a video on Persia Kitty. And so I just, I love how like nothing was off limits Mm -hmm. because no one knew the limits of the technology of the day because technology had advanced so fast in the thirties, forties. I mean, you've got people who were full adults when people had never flown and all of a sudden they're seeing rockets go up. Like it Mm -hmm. felt like this, this upward trend of using technology and all of this was, was going to keep going. And it kind of has, but not to the sort of like the same visible degree, but the fifties, especially had this really interesting all of these things trying to subsist together mm-hmm. is just a very wild period yeah. yeah i like that explanation so uh can i tell a quick story not to do yeah. it too much no, but no. i don't want to get back to that um la- was it last weekend not this last weekend but the weekend before that um i went down to houston for the uh, 50th anniversary of apollo 16 yes. they had this like celebration thing yeah. down there um charlie duke the commander, I believe, on that one. He was Literally he's still around. He is. He's he a very there. nice guy. Did you I did? I met him. He's him? and he and he gave a little talk <laughs> and like everybody went out a dry eye in the house. He was very, yeah. very good speaker. Yeah. Um, but anyway, while he was doing that that speech, he was talking about his uh father was born, I think, five years before the Wright brothers first flew. Okay. And he was like, I often try to imagine what it must have been like to be somebody that was born before humans ever even took flight and then watch your son walking on the moon. Yeah. You know? And then he said, um, and then I look at my kids and they didn't think there was anything weird about it at all. Yeah. But that's also because they were in Houston and like all their neighbors were astronauts. Yeah. He was like Neil Armstrong lived two outdoors yeah. down and Gene Cernan was over there. And all my kids' friends had parents going to the moon. So they didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting little Yeah, it is, it is really, really interesting when you think about like people's experience of that specifically and how much it's like, yeah, for some people it's like, of course. I've got, you know, friends whose parents are astronauts and they're like, yeah, no, you're what your dad doesn't go to space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your, your dad never left the ground. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is. It's interesting. It's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, just really quickly, because I was, we we're talking about like a mid-century design and whatnot a second ago. It is my favorite style. Not that you can yeah. see it behind me or anything, but um, uh all of our furniture downstairs is like sort of inspired mid-century nice. kind of thing. Yeah. But um, a couple of things. I'm watching two different shows right now that are steeped in that era. Uh, 
and it's just kind of gotten me on a little bit of a kick on all that. But one is the fabulous Mrs. Maisel. I have not watched that. And I know that I should, because I hear it's fantastic. It's good. It, it's, yeah. it can be a little bit, a lot sometimes, but, okay. um, but it's, it's in that it's like 1960. I mean, you yeah. know, and every, like, if you look, if you, if you like the design aesthetic, yeah, you'll go gaga over it. Cause yeah. it's, it's just beautifully shot and everything. Uh, and the other one is for all mankind. Yeah. Apple. What do you um, think of it? Have you seen it? I watched the first season. Okay, I'm I'm like maybe halfway through the first season. Okay, I'm like four episodes in or something. Okay, but okay. Uh, I did that post Apollo video that I was talking about. It was talking about all these like plans that they had made, and I guess some of those were in that yeah. show. Yeah, and I uh, I got a million different comments like I can't believe you're not watching that. I'm so disappointed in you. Oh but, my god, um, the, what I got was the I can't believe you don't love that show because of the women. And I was like, listen, let me tell you, as someone who has lived with Jerry Cobb for the last like four or five years at this point molly cobb's character is yeah. obviously jerry cobb but yeah. she was still alive when they were filming it so they couldn't call her jerry um mm. but yeah listen i spent a lot of time with jerry cobb that's jerry cobb what she wishes she could have been jerry cobb was is that who's in like, your book yeah oh okay okay he's one of the main women in my book, which is, and like because i i spent so long trying to understand the women's position nasa's position the whole mm. thing so then to see how they treated i was like no, <laughs> uh, I was like, none of this is working for me. The attitudes of like, you know, as an astronaut, you can't be like, well, it's my way or the highway, bitch. Like you have to be a team player. Yeah, and I'm yeah. looking at these personalities and I'm like, not one of you would ever be yeah. emotionally fit to fly. But, but the Molly character, like Jerry Cobb was very like, she talked like this and she was very muttery and she was, you know, she had that demeanor. And I'm watching this girl who's just like, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, no, not even. They're like, oh, I want to know all about Jerry now. And I'm like, you will not. <laughs> you will not love yeah. her as much if that's what your idea is. But anyways, yeah. Well, I just I I just got to where they launched. So okay. I don't know what happens yeah. after that. <laughs> it's, it's got some good stuff in it. And I think I actually, I loved the, the impetus for the show. I loved the, the, the idea. The concept that's, yeah. Yeah, of everything is, is exactly the same, except that the Soviets actually get there a month before Apollo 11. Yeah, because that just sets you up with all of this stuff, and um, it's like that alternative history thing. It's like, what if yeah. this had happened, and then all these dominoes would have fallen a different way? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's it's. I actually think it's probably the wrong turning point because I think you know. And here's where I can't. I the, my thing with space based, especially space obviously space history based TV like this is I can't like get out of my head because like after Korolev died in 1966 the Soviets had no chance in hell of landing a man on the moon. Like there was no way um, it would have and been. He was the guy who ran the Soviet. He program. was the guy who was, yeah. he was their chief designer. He was yeah, kind yeah. of their equivalent of Horner von Brown almost. And yeah. um, so, you know, it, it didn't quite make sense to me that that would be the turning point where it's like, everything's the same. They could have done it. It's like, well, they, they couldn't have done it. So you'd have to create a little bit more in your alternate history there, but like, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, but I, I'm, I thought, honestly, I'm, I'm yeah. a little bit the same way when I watch it and, and there's little things kind of, kind of the same, what you were just saying about the, the, the Molly character, not being accurate or, or not being somebody that would have, you know, worked in that whole yeah. atmosphere and everything. Um, I, I do the same things I watch and I see some of the astronauts kind of, uh, uh, having these attitudes and being a certain way and yeah. I'm like they wouldn't that, that's not 
they wouldn't have been like that. (laughs) You know what what the reality is, is like those guys, especially in that era, they were very disciplined, very quiet, mild mannered. Like they were, you know, they would go out and drink. They were like hot shot fly boys, but they still did the job. And they were very Mm -hmm. much like they were chosen because of their demeanors and their being a team player. You know, it's really boring to watch people like that in a classroom. But that's what astronaut training (laughs) is. Like (laughs) the reality is you have to make it more exciting for Hollywood. So, Yeah. yeah doing multivariant calculus on yeah. a scratch pad it's real real exciting uh, th- but yeah i mean same thing like when you're doing a tv show you got to have drama and tension and narrative stuff it's off it's got to be in there uh I-, I understand that but some of them so far for me have been kind of like but why why did you even yeah. do that like the, the when I'm spoiling a little bit if anybody hasn't seen it, but when, when Apollo 11 does land, it's this like big dramatic thing where they lose radio contact for two hours. And, and it turns yeah. out it was like parked sideways and they, you know, it's kind of like that didn't add anything really, except yeah. for just some needless drama. But yeah, again, I, I guess I get it. Cause I think gotta... there's one element you might not have gotten here yet, but there's, I, they got to the point where I couldn't tell you anyone's name. I could just oh. tell you what their social cause was because mm. it got, it started to feel like instead of developing characters that you could really understand and sort of see the world through their eyes to understand different perspectives, different experiences, it was just like, well, we're going to give her this issue. We're going to give him this issue. And they became a, a vehicle for telling, like changing the entire world. So like, mm. you know, social justice is very much pushed forward within this universe and stuff. But the characters were so like, not full humans, it felt like to me after mm. a while. And I was just mm. like, I don't know anybody's name. I just know that she's, she's the girl that like she and the guy are in the sham marriage to hide that they're both gay. Oh, right. Yeah. Let me into their world more as opposed to just like showing these like sidelong glances from down the bar that are supposed <laughs> to tell you something. Do you know what I mean? Like it just like, yeah. that's what felt weird to me in that show is just like, yeah. Well, I'm enjoying it enough to keep watching it. We'll, and we'll see if that it is, continues. But. Yeah, there's definitely some stuff that I was like, this is this is fun. Like, mm. this is a fun alternate history thought process. I liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so going back to design a little bit, since that's, <laughs> since that's something we're both into. No, um, there's a there's a movie, a documentary about the Eames, uh, Ray yeah. and Charles Eames. Yeah. Uh, it's been like 10 years ago or so that it first came out and you know they, they developed the Eames chair which is obviously very famous but uh they worked with Herman Miller on a bunch of pieces and whatnot yeah. but um if you haven't seen it and you're curious at all it's worth watching I think it's just called Eames E-A-M-E-S but mm-hmm. um it was it was just this married couple both of them freaking geniuses and and they had this studio where like that's just what they did was just play with things they were the ones that first did that orders of magnitude film where it like started at a person laying in a park and it went up in orders of magnitude yeah like the earth and the planets and stuff and then it went back down to like the atoms and like and they did this in the 60s with the technology that was available at the time but yeah so they were like filmmakers and designers and they just had this play studio where they just played and just came yeah. up with interesting designs and stuff and nice and a lot of the famous designs that you've seen in that that mid-century huh. aesthetic came from them yeah cool it's, it, I, i'm just like i've watched i'm like how do you get that job how do you get right? to just like get a bunch of really cool creative people together and just play around and make a living doing that yeah no some people i, I feel like when you're the creative artist and you're connected and you're successful in your lifetime which is the important part for the artist i think 
you just get to play. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, before we wrap this up, I thought I would just kind of give you a chance. Is there, is there anything that, uh, I mean, I, I know you're always going down rabbit holes because that's what we do when we mm-hmm. do what we do, but um, is there any kind of rabbit hole you, you've stumbled down lately that uh, it could be for something, for, for some content, or it could just be something that you found and got interested in? It could I, be a book, it could be a TV the show, big, movie. The big thing that I'm rabbit hole I've been down is is redacted uh, I'm not talking about what my next book is about until I like See, I knew it would be something like have it so unfortunately I have spent I spent a lot like the last five days I have been working on because I'm looking for a new agent which is just not something mm. I wanted to have to do but that's okay we're doing it as um, a literary agent yeah yeah literary um so I've been working on the proposal I've been working on the sample chapter so I'm, I am so lost in redacted uh right now but um yeah no i think the i think the big rabbit hole that i i've been thinking about and i'm about to go down so i don't really know what it is yet but is is looking at the party flip in the 60s and kind of what that yeah that's that's something it's i mean i i can tell you my next book idea is mid-century so like you know no surprises there but the the party flip is is something that's a little bit relevant and it's something i've always wanted to understand the other thing that i'm i'm been i announced it last year and i am still working on it's just like it's secondary is i'm doing this deep dive over many many months of american history because like i'm not from here i wasn't raised here America baffles me um, in a lot of ways. And America's kind of identity, this idea of American exceptionalism, American nationalism is like nowhere I've ever seen. Um, And people don't totally know America's history, even if you're from here. You know, people will just be like, just have these very reductive statements of like, oh yeah, this happened. It's like, well, it's actually like a lot bigger than that. I mean, I've been looking at um, pre-Columbus, specifically what is modern day, uh, America and Canada. Um, but you know, pre-Columbus America, like what did that mm-hmm. look like? What do we know from the records? Because the, you know, I think I've been all about th- that lately myself, actually. Yeah, it's, there, it's, there's a whole series I would like to do on that. Yeah, no, that's it's, I've got a bookshelf that's all that stuff right there. And mm-hmm. it's just it's slowly coming. And I am doing it through the lens of someone who wasn't born here and who's never who has no history of this. But you know, I f- I feel like one thing I always think about is people look at you know, your, your classic depiction of, of native, native Americans is the, the native, um, you know, tribe leader on a horse, except that horses right. were not here. Horses came from the Europeans. Right. So that image in itself is interestingly loaded because at some point, you know, how did native called, if, if it's the case where people always say, you know, European settlers came in and they just killed everybody. It's like, well, they, they didn't because clearly at some point there was native tribes that were able to mount horses and go to war against settlers. Mm -hmm. So like, I want, I want to understand the interactions and what I've been reading about is like, yeah, a lot of them killed each other. A lot of them actually coexisted. Mm -hmm. And like, there was, um... it's, it's very, yeah, it's very. It actually is very interesting because because we don't get taught that, and no. it's still kind of being figured out because there wasn't a written history or yeah. anything. There's yes. they didn't build this the kind they didn't have the materials or the um, beasts of burden that they yeah. had in in Europe and the Middle East yeah. to build things like pyramids and longstanding structures. So even the things wheels. that they did build. So what? That's one thing that I learned about too is in some, mostly in Central American uh, the largest. Um, communities in the Americas was like the Aztec and right, yeah. um, the other one is escaping me. Incas? In South, the Inca, is it the yeah. Incas? That one thing given in South Mayas. America? 
Mayas. Thank you. Yeah. Those, that, that's middle America. Yeah. Um, but that they, they had wheels that were used in children's toys, but they didn't have wheels for carts. And that's in part because they didn't have large animals to pull them. Mm -hmm. So there's this really interesting, like literally for them to move around is a very different way of mm -hmm. life than the people who then arrived in this world and started setting up because they had all this different technology that became a clash of, of eras in a way. Yeah. Yeah. These little things that you never think about. Well, and something happened to pre-Columbian uh, native um, civilizations, like just before the Europeans arrived, mm -hmm. there was a, a huge dip in their populations and, mm. and like the, the city of Cahokia. Are you familiar with Cahokia? No. Um, so actually, <laughs> the sort of rabbit hole that I've gone down on all this is like the North American yeah. uh, ancient pre-Columbian cultures. Cause we know a lot about like the Mayans and yeah. the Incas, and yeah. but, but like there's a city called Cahokia. It's like right outside of where um, St. Louis is today. Okay. Um, in its time around like 1100. Yeah. It was bigger than London. Yeah. And, and it was this thriving community and everything. And then it was abandoned pretty quickly before or, or soon before like the Europeans arrived. So, so like there were these big Mississippian civilizations is what they were called. Yes. And, and they I all kind of like yeah. collapsed just before yeah. the Europeans got here. So it was like a, a one-two punch hmm. and then the disease that the Europeans brought up. Yeah. Of course, you know? yeah. But um, there's a, a place in Louisiana called Poverty Point that actually dates back to about the time of the Egyptian pyramids interesting yeah and it's and it's hmm. earthen mounds because again they didn't have stone to deal with they didn't have I read about these earthen mounds i think oh they're this all over the place but, yeah but in, but in poverty point it's like one of the oldest that they found um, yeah i kind of i'm i, I read that i read a couple of books about it last year and i'm kind of just starting to go back through this stuff but that yeah. is ringing a bell about that one yeah well as you can tell just by the tone of my voice like i started getting into it, it's like this is so interesting because interesting. the thing about poverty point is they found all these artifacts and um types of stone tools and stuff that were from uh rocks that weren't around there from they from from all over the country mm -hmm. and and it turns out there was this whole trade system through the the mississippi and all its tributaries and stuff mm -hmm going all around like the continental United States, what we call now the continental yeah. United States. So like there was this massive trade network in like 2,500 BC in, mm -hmm. in North America. And, and we know nothing about them and yeah. we don't know what they called themselves or what they used all this for and stuff. It's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah. One thing that I, I read about, which I'm sure you've come across too, is, you know, that they were, these are were all oral traditions. They did not mm -hmm. have writing. So their history is preserved with artifacts, which are very hard to figure out versus the Europeans who found, found this world and could write about it and could disseminate that information mm -hmm. and, and put themselves in a unique position to the benefactors because they could actually communicate what was happening very quickly as opposed to having to do it orally which is an interesting part of like how they were able to fund getting back here and setting up cities and right. funding all of their activities. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of elements that we don't really think about that had to happen for, yeah. you know, modern day America to exist the way that it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's very neat. I actually just bought a book called 1491. And its companion book, 1493. Both of those are. Yeah, no, it's it's uh that those two, those two are both on that shelf. Hmm. 
Well, um, why don't we start to wrap this up and, right. <laughs> and like, where can people find your book? Let's sell some of your book here. Sell some of my book. Uh, my book fighting for space is available wherever you want to buy books. <laughs> um, Amazon is everyone's go-to, but, um, I forget what the website is that allows you to buy it from any local bookstore, but as with the ease of Amazon. I forget what it's called, but yeah, anywhere you buy books, you can buy Fighting for Space. Um, also ebook and audiobook, which I did narrate this time. Oh, I was going to ask about very that. Very cool. fun to be able to do. Um, my voice is known. People didn't like that my first book wasn't narrated by me. So mm. I narrated this one. That was in, like right off the bat in my contract. Did you just lose your voice yeah. after a couple of days there? No, I could only, uh, they only recorded for about four to five hours a day. Okay. And I sat there eating Altoids. Yeah. all day to keep my mouth fresh <laughs> and literally the guy would be listening he's like your voice is getting tacky take five minutes drink a bunch of water then we'll pick up so like oh that's cool so you had somebody yeah. there that knew they oh were yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah. I, I worked with a with a studio um cool. it was this guy's home studio because it was closer to me to me than going downtown mm. but it was a very interesting experience and and i got to find some errors that i would have missed if i had been reading <laughs> it out loud so that was really helpful <laughs> yeah you're um, reading through it, it's like wait what did i mean when i wrote that it was i i had how, one moment that? where I reference Jackie Cochran and Amelia Earhart both being very similar women for a lot of ways, including that their husbands were supportive of them being the dominant feature. And I realized that I had, because my editor had asked me to play up the Amelia friendship a little bit, I, at that point in the book, because I'd added more in later, Jackie wasn't married yet. So I had to go in and change it to be like their husbands, their partners or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. these minimal edits. And I was like, oh, I don't know that anyone would have caught that. Because we all know that they get married six yeah. months later, but yeah, it's a little stuff like that that would have, you know, been very annoying to me. You would have been cringing, w uh, waking up in the middle of the night, yeah, thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's the book. I feel like the other place to find me right now is Twitter and Twitch. Uh, Amy Shira title on on Twitter, and uh, I, I'm I'm promoting it as like if you want to come and hang out and chew the shit with me as a regular <laughs> person, that's what I do on Twitch. Mm. So uh, stream under the space vixen. How often do you do it? Uh, Mondays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific and Sundays at 8 a.m. So you keep regular hours on that. I do. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Stream for about five hours at a time. We play some old video games and we hang out and we rant. Yeah, we, it's, it's fun. I've, I've, never, actually, I've never done that. I've never done the Twitch. <laughs> the weirdest thing. And a friend of mine pointed this out to me. He's like, I create all this stuff under my own name on all of the apps on the new YouTube channel, but Twitch is where arguably you get to know me as a person because I'm, I can't be on for five solid hours. I can't be on when I'm focusing on a game or like narrating something and being entertaining to, you know, a couple hundred people. It's weird that the one place where I'm not under my own name, I'm most myself. Isn't that true about the internet yeah. though? Because you're, yeah. people are a bit more anonymous. And yep. That's how you get those comments that are so lovely. Yes. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Let's just swing back to that one more time. Yeah. Gonna... No. Um, well, cool. This has been great. I've, I've, I've been wanting to meet you for, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, so... I'm really happy. We finally got this three years Thanks, later. Tim. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. We're not throwing you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, good luck with everything, and uh, hopefully we can we can do this again sometime. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having okay. me. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll go I'll go sit on my mid-century modern chair downstairs now. Nice. <laughs> All right, take care, Amy. Thanks a lot. Bye. 
All right, thanks again to Amy for taking some time to chat with me. Uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And yeah, go check out her book, Fighting for Space. It's in all the places books hang out. Uh, and and you know, whoever your favorite creator is, by the way, if they branch out and do something big, something that really pushes their creative boundaries, you should support that. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult and scary thing to do, but taking on new challenges only just strengthens their the rest of their work. It kind of gets their creative juices flowing. So it comes back into the thing that you love, whether you're into the thing that they have gone off and done or not. So anyway, show them some love when you see that. This episode was produced by Kimmy Britt, edited by Bray Brown. I'm Joe Scott. You can find me at Answers with Joe pretty much everywhere on the socials. And of course, my YouTube channel is Answers with Joe. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Please do share this if you thought this was interesting. And a nice review on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now really does go a long way. So until next time, thanks. Have a good one. Now go out there and start some conversations of your own. Take care. (music) 